I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna Live, the Arsenal podcast part of the 90 Min Football Network. And as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou. It's the international break, but it wouldn't be an international break if we still couldn't find things to moan about. And there are plenty uh, for us to complain about, of course, uh, off the back of what we saw from England last night in terms of the performance. We can talk about the use of Bukayo Saka, which for me was just totally baffling. Uh, we'll get into all of that. We'll be talking about Gareth Southgate's position as England manager. Um, look, let's put it out there straight away. It's way too late in the day to make a change ahead of the World Cup. I think that's fair to say. I think most people will agree with that. I think there will be people out there that think that actually, if you make that change now, there is enough talent in that squad that whoever comes in, as long as they're competent, would give... England a greater chance of succeeding than perhaps Gareth Southgate. But, you know, we'll, we'll get into all of that. And we're also going to be talking about the latest on Thomas Partey, Takahiro Tomiyasu, Martin Erdegaard as well. Uh, there's lots to update you on from an Arsenal perspective. And of course, we're recording this ahead of the women's North London derby, which is going to take place today at Emirates Stadium in front of 52,000 fans. Just wow. Incredible. I'll be watching the game and I'll be bringing you guys uh, some reaction to that game a little bit later on uh, today. So stay tuned for that as well if you are interested. OK, let's get into it. Let's uh, kick off with England's defeat in Italy. Now, I was really surprised by this. Look, Italy away is never an easy game. OK, San Siro, incredibly atmospheric place. Nowhere near full, by the way, but still enough people in there to make it a hostile and intimidating place to go. England rock up with a much better team, in my opinion, with a much better squad um, to face a side who aren't going to the World Cup, who are relatively deflated as a consequence of that. I expected England to go there and put Italy away. I really, really did. Now, I'm a big fan of Italian football, but when I looked at that group, when I looked at Mancini's squad, when I looked at who was missing from it, when I looked at some of the decisions he made, I have to say I didn't give them much hope. But they were, in my opinion, the better team. They started the game better. They had brighter moments. They had a lot of threat, particularly down the left-hand side with Federico De Marco, which I was surprised about, by the way, because he's a player that, when we do our Simply Serie A podcast on a weekly basis, often gets quite a bit of stick. People often say that one of the big problems with Inter in comparison to where they were in recent seasons is that the downgrade at left wing back, you know, Ivan Perisic would have been playing in that position months ago. And now it's Federico Di Marco, who, I don't know, it's just, it's just someone who hasn't really won the Inter fan base over. He's an Inter lad, born and bred, um, a Milan lad, I should say, as in the area. I don't know what team he supported as a kid. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's somebody that, despite all of that, a lot of fans in Italy have struggled to warm to. Um, so to see him play against England and perform so well was quite difficult to process. Is it because Di Marco had a really good game or were England just awful at dealing with that threat? Were they just awful at dealing with that particular space? He was getting up and down all game. He put some ferocious crosses into the penalty area. Um, but in the end, it was Raspadori's goal, the Napoli man, 
that separated the two sides. Great goal, great finish, really well taken chance after a beautiful touch to bring the ball out of the air. But he's got way too much space on the edge of the box and he wasn't the only one that was afforded that type of space. Now, you never saw that type of space being afforded to England players at the other end of the pitch. I thought Bonucci had a really, really good game for Italy. A player that people have, have, have questioned recently. Some say that he's over the hill, etc., etc. But Leonardo Bonucci, I thought, had a really good game for Italy. And, um, you know, it was in stark contrast to the, the performance from England, who just seemed to lack creativity, just seemed to lap, uh, lap, lack uh, that spark. There's something seriously missing. And is it Gareth Southgate that's the problem? Well, we'll come on to this now because Gareth Southgate, for me, has credit in the bank, or at least had credit in the bank. It's very quickly diminishing, though. He took England to a World Cup semi-final. He took England to a European Championship final. Now, of course, they failed in both of those in the end, but that's much more than England have achieved in recent years. This is not the best England squad of the last two, three decades, in my opinion. You know, people call it a golden generation. I don't really know that you can do that. I mean, you look at the goalkeeping area, okay? You look at it and you've got Ramsdale, Pickford and Pope. All good goalkeepers. But are any of them world class? Even as an Arsenal fan, I struggle to say that Ramsdale has done enough at, up till this point in his career to say he's world class. You move into that centre of defence and you're talking about Harry Maguire, Eric Dyer. You're talking about John, John Stones is the best one for me. Um, you know, I think he's I think he's really talented. Fikayo Tomori should be in that team. He's not. He should be considered. He's not. The fullbacks, you know, at right back, I think England on paper are pretty strong with Rhys James, uh, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kieran Trippier is a decent fullback as well. On the left, Ben Chilwell's good. But beyond that, you're looking at people like Luke Shaw, who hasn't even really played much this season, hasn't been impactful. You move into the midfield. Are you going to put Rice and Bellingham at this stage in, in Bellingham's career, but are you going to put Rice in the same category or bracket as the Gerrards of this world, as the Paul Scholes's? Absolutely not. Um, you know, you look in the wide positions. I think England have talent in the wide positions. Centre forward Harry Kane is very, very good as well. But I, I, I don't think, the point I'm trying to make, I've gone around the houses a little bit, is that I don't think this England side is anywhere near as strong or as as complete as some people make it out to be. So when I hear talk of Southgate wasting the golden generation, it doesn't wash for me. It just doesn't wash for me. If anything, I think taking England to a World Cup semi-final and then to a European Championship final in consecutive tournaments, I think he overachieved. But there was probably a lot more fortune in that than Gareth Southgate being a genius or being an incredible manager because I thought... The runs they got in those tournaments were particularly favourable. And, and so I think people need to maybe recalibrate their expectations of this England side. But they've lost, you know, I think this is the longest stretch since Roy Hodgson's time that they've gone without a win, which is obviously not good, doesn't bode well. It's the last international break before the World Cup. And people were looking at this international break as an opportunity for England to really set a marker and, you know, convince people that they should be backed going into the competition and into the tournament. But there were so many things fundamentally wrong, in my opinion, with Gareth Southgate's selection, that it's really difficult to support and back what he's doing. 
So I, I mentioned that he's got credit in the bank, and I do truly believe that because, of course, the achievements of the past. However, it's it's fading away really, really quickly. So why? Well, first of all, let's look at it from an Arsenal perspective. Bukayo Saka at left wing back is, you know, it's something that Arsenal fans talked about last season when we had problems in the fullback area. It's something that people regularly discussed, regularly uh, suggested. That in my opinion, you'd be taking away from from Bukayo Saka and his his strengths by putting him back there. When he first broke into the side, that's where we needed him. That's where he filled in. What did it do? It gave him incredible experience. It gave him an understanding of what first-team senior football was going to be like. And he used those experiences to push on. There's no question about that. But at no point did I ever look at Bukayo Saka and think, yeah, you're going to be a wing-back slash full-back for the rest of your career. It was always with a view to moving him further up the pitch. Yes, he's versatile. Great. That's a commendable attribute to have. But sometimes, as we've seen in Ben White's case, for example, when you do display that versatility, what it can do is it can be a bit of a hindrance when it comes to being selected for your actual position, the position that you want to play in. Gareth Southgate, I think, has has copped out of making a decision in the wide areas by putting Bukayo Saka there. And what did he get to do there? You know, he he rarely got on the ball. When he did get on the ball, it was in areas from which he couldn't influence the game. Raheem Sterling was playing down that side as well. And I felt like at times when Saka did try and get forward, the pair actually got in each other's way. He never really got the opportunity to bomb on on the outside of Sterling because of England being so dull, so mundane, so poor in their build-up play, so slow. Um, and I just I just looked at Bukayo Saka last night through an Arsenal lens and, and felt really sorry for him because I just thought he was set up to fail. He was set up to essentially be on the peripheries of a game and and have had ultimately no chance of influencing it. And people will come away from it and say, well, the Saka thing at left wing back didn't work. Rightly so, because he should be playing on the right wing. But the point I'm trying to make here is that you've got to recognise here that that's not on Bukayo Saka. That's on Gareth Southgate for playing a negative, boring, dull system and asking Bukayo Saka to do a role that he left in the past, a long while ago. You know, I always thought when I was watching those those last two tournaments, when I watched the World Cup, when I watched the Euros, that the thing that always came to my mind and when I analysed the games after and when I did various media after, the thing that I always said was England's Achilles heel was that they were unable to dominate midfields. They were unable to secure possession for long periods of time to dictate the tempo of games themselves. I honestly think that that was England's biggest problem in those two tournaments. Croatia undone them. Why? Because they had a top-class midfield who ultimately took control of the game. Once Croatia settled down, they began to pull strings. They began to dictate the, the rhythm and the tempo. Italy did the same in the Euro final. And so for me, that's the big weakness in this England side. And so why wouldn't you look at switching to a back four and include... Another technical player. Why isn't Jack Grealish in the team, for example, in addition to those guys? Why isn't Foden playing as a 10 or in a midfield position where he can kind of go up and down um, and, and get involved? Bellingham could potentially do that as well. There is technical quality in that England midfield. But what you're doing, Gareth Southgate, is you are essentially surrendering 
uh, that advantage that you could have in midfield in order to have additional cover in that back line. And then you turn into players like Harry Maguire and Eric Dyer, who for me, they shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be there. You know, I, I read a quote from Harry Maguire where he said something, I think it was from TalkSport. He said something along the lines of when he asked about the criticism and heat that he's faced over the last few months and, and the uproar when the news came out that he was going to be starting in this game. He said, well, you know, I was injured for eight weeks leading into the tournament and then made the team of the tournament. OK, but if you're not going to have a look at the likes of Tamori, the likes of Ivan Tony as well, who was called up. Now, I'm no fan of Ivan Tony. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. But he was called up and he was left out of the squad. What was the point? When are you going to get another opportunity to look at these players ahead of the World Cup? If you don't think they're right, if you don't think they're good enough, then why call them up in the first place? I don't understand it. What, so you can give them an experience, let them know what it's like to train with the England side. I don't think they give a shit, to be honest. I think they want to be in that side. I think they want an opportunity to compete for a place going into the World Cup. And I really don't get some of the decisions. As I say, why call up Tony and leave him out of the squad? Why play Saka at left wing back? Why, you know, use Phil Foden in a position that I don't think is necessarily his best? Why is Eric Dyer come back into the side out of the cold? Why is Harry Maguire in the team? You know, there's a lot of things. Also, I would have probably played Aaron Ramsdale as well. I know maybe there's a bit of Arsenal bias in there, but I think what it is that he brings to the table is distribution, the ability to distribute the ball well. Similarly to the way that Jordan Pickford does. Jordan Pickford's biggest strength for me is his ability to distribute the ball. I like Nick Pope. I think he's a really good goalkeeper and I don't have a massive issue with him being given an opportunity. But you'd think that if you had your way set, you know what type of goalkeeper you want. You'd think that Aaron Ramsdale would be the natural replacement for Jordan Pickford. Tammy Abraham was on the bench playing against. He had the opportunity to play against players he knows. Same with Fikayo Tomori. None of them got a look in. You know what Harry Kane brings to the table. He's a fantastic player. We know that. I just think that some of the decisions that Gareth Southgate makes are really, really confusing. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. But I will caveat all of that. I said it right at the top of the programme, but if you're just joining us, I will caveat all of that with this isn't a golden generation of England players like some people want you to believe. There's lots of options but there's very little world-class players so people talk about the depth of this England squad a lot don't they there's a lot of players as I say who are at a good level but there are very few who are at the absolute elite level and that's that's a problem for England and that's why for me this isn't a golden generation this isn't Rio Ferdinand and John Terry at the back with Lampard Gerard Scholes as midfield options David Beckham you know th this isn't that 
you look at this team and you can't compare Dyer, Maguire, even the likes of Tomori, who I think has had a good season, is going on, but he's not at that level of, you know, some of the players that England had back in the day. So, yeah, it's not a golden generation. But Gareth Southgate's got more quality at his disposal, I think, than we're seeing right now. I think the balance is off. I think it's wrong. And uh, obviously the confidence within the camp isn't very high either based on recent results. So that's my uh, little take, uh, rant, whatever you want to call it, on Gareth Southgate and England after their defeat in San Siro against Italy last night. Uh, we've got to talk about some Arsenal news, though, because there was a, a report doing the rounds that literally scared the shit out of us uh, ahead of next weekend's North London derby with regards to Thomas Partey. Now, it was said that he had to pull out of the starting eleven as Ghana faced Brazil uh, due to picking up a problem. Um, people were sort of frantically going online to look at the various apps and try and understand whether he was in the team or not. And if you looked at Live Score, Flash Score, all of those places, and I did do that last night, you'd have seen that they had him in the starting lineup. I don't think they amended it, um, given that the injury came or the problem came so late in the day. Now, according to some further reports that we've had since, he felt some discomfort in his knee and hence why uh, he withdrew from the starting lineup. But he should be good to go uh, in their upcoming game against Nicaragua in a couple of days' time. So Charles Watts has been online sort of providing a bit of an update on this as well. He says uh, the latest on Partey's uh, injury scare, the early word is that it's nothing to be concerned about. I bloody hope so. But if there is any seed of doubt around Thomas Partey's condition going into the North London derby, you have to pull him out of the squad. You cannot allow him to go and play a game against Nicaragua. Now, I know for Ghana, it's difficult, right? They're going to the World Cup. They uh, want to get people fit. They want to, uh, you know, they want to get that rhythm. They want to find their feet. They want to build that cohesion. But all of the same things that all the other World Cup participants want, right? This is, as I say, the last international break before the tournament. And so those managers, understandably, want to use those players so that they can do their last bit of assessment, their last their last workings out going into the World Cup and ultimately make their decisions off the back of that. So I get it. But surely if you're the Ghanaian manager, you know that having Thomas Partey in your squad makes you infinitely better. And surely you don't want to take any risks and you don't want him to potentially aggravate a problem that could see him miss part of the World Cup. You know, it's a really difficult balance to find. But I guess I feel a little bit more comfortable about this now, knowing that the sort of follow-on reports are suggesting that it isn't anywhere near as severe as perhaps was first suggested. Another interesting one, though, is uh, is the situation and the case around Takahiro Tomiyasu. Because he uh, obviously played in Japan's victory over the USA. He went face-to-face -face with Matt Turner. You may have seen the videos of the pair swapping shirts, etc., etc. But Takahiro Tomiyasu has withdrawn from the Japan squad and will not feature in their friendly against Ecuador on Tuesday due to, and I quote, club circumstances, which suggests that Arsenal have requested his leave from the national team. Now, I agree with Ash in the chat here who says, Tomiyasu withdrawing suggests that there might be an issue with Ben White. 
Could that be the case? We've heard murmurs and rumours over the last few weeks that Ben White has an ongoing problem. Mikel Arteta didn't really shed any light on that in his last press conference ahead of the Brentford game. But that is something that we've been hearing. So is there a chance that Ben White's picked up a problem? Could that be maybe partly why Ben White, given the doubt around him, was left out of the England squad? I don't know. Uh, but the fact that Tommy Asu's been withdrawn, and it seems by Arsenal, is uh, is really, really interesting. Um, we're going to have to see what that means, either for Ben White or maybe even for Tommy Asu. Maybe there's a, an aggravation of an issue at his end, and Arsenal have looked at it and gone, nah, come back. You know, we can't have this. Come back. I don't know. Interesting. Also, Martin Odegaard, who obviously missed the game against Brentford, is rumoured to be fit and ready to start for Norway tonight. Uh, so I'm going to keep a close eye on that one as well. And obviously we'll bring you an update as soon as we have it. But yeah, these, these international breaks, like I get the needs for them, especially going into a tournament. Managers want to get their players together, want to get the groups together. I totally get that. If you're an international manager, you don't give a shit about the club. You don't give a shit about whether that player is available at the weekend. All you care about is getting them fit, sharp, ready for the World Cup, which is just around the corner in, in about 50 odd days time now. But from a club perspective, like, I don't know about you guys, but I literally just sit there biting my nails for the entire period, just hoping that we don't come out of this with, with injuries that are going to cause us a problem in the Premier League. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, some people are saying that uh, Thomas Partey will miss the North London derby. We don't know that. So anyone who's telling you that right now um, is is taking a guess. You know, maybe it's an educated guess. Maybe they're reading between the lines and, and they've come to that opinion, uh, you know, having sort of assessed all of the evidence, etc. But it is just an opinion at this point because there has been zero communication from anyone at Arsenal or within the Ghanaian setup that would give us uh, a clear sort of idea on whether Thomas Partey will be fit enough for the North London derby. I'm not even saying he will be, but he's not been ruled out is the point I'm making. Not at this stage, not at 11.41 on Saturday. Okay, uh, we're going to take a couple of your questions before we wrap it up. Just a short edition uh, today, keeping you guys across what's happening uh, throughout the international break. Um, I'm going to be spending the rest of the day watching the Women's North London Derby. As I said, I'll bring you some reaction to that a little bit later on as well. Um, and of course, I'm continuing to work on the premium content, which is going to be available to all of you from next week. And I really, really can't wait to share some of the stuff we've done with you. Uh, I think we've got three pieces of content, which will be exclusive to members uh, in the bag already. And the plan is to keep producing at that level. Like um, I'm going to do an explainer video talking about the, the memberships, what you're going to get, how many pieces of content. But I plan to over deliver on that as well, wherever possible. And um, yeah, the memberships allow me to spend more time on this. They allow me to be able to turn down other work so that I can focus more so on this, which means that we can put more in and essentially get more out. Uh, also from the memberships, again, I'll explain all of this in a lot more detail, but I just want to let you know that it's coming uh, from the memberships. We're going to be making a donation from the Chronicles of Aguna podcast to Great Ormond Street Kids Hospital as well on a monthly basis. Um, the first 100 members that sign up to the new platform will also go into a prize draw as well, where there'll be two prizes up for grabs. So you've got a one in 50 chance uh, of winning. So there's a little added incentive to be one of the first. But as I say, we're going to be making a donation 
on behalf of all the members, uh, on behalf of the membership uh, money that comes in to Great Ormond Street Kids Hospital. And the reason that is uh, particularly close to my heart is because um, when my daughter was born little over a year ago, um, you know, she, there were some complications. There were um, some concerns. We had a big, big scare. And uh, Great Ormond Street Hospital, thankfully everything's okay now, but Great Ormond Street Hospital were amazing. Like I can't put into words how good they were, how at ease they make you feel, even in a really difficult shit situation. And so for me, that's something that's really close to my heart. And having gone there five, six, seven maybe times, uh, sort of in the first month or so of, of my daughter's life, I watched them from a distance a little bit. You know, you see the work that they're doing. You see how many other families are there going through it as well. And I just think it's an incredible cause, um, an incredible place. And uh, yeah, I want to do something. And I felt that taking something out of the membership pot and donating it to them would be a good way to do it um, on top of on top of anything else that I can help them with as well. So, yeah, I just wanted to keep you in the loop on that. Don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do uh leave a like on the video what are you waiting for it doesn't cost a thing uh there's nearly 300 of you with me live right now but we've only got 52 likes on the board that is not good enough come on let's get that up to 150 at the absolute minimum make sure you subscribe to the channel as well if you are new and if you're listening on the audio please do leave us a review i'll be back very very soon with more arsenal and football related content until next time take care of yourselves happy saturday I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.